So if you would, open your Bibles with me to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. How should our faith in Jesus shape the way that we respond to life's very usual ups and downs? Especially when we find ourselves deeply concerned for either ourselves or for somebody else near to us. That's how James ends this book. Giving us an answer to that question and some very practical guidance along the way for different situations. So let me go ahead and finish reading the book for us. And then after that, I'll pray and do my best to help us understand what James is saying, what he isn't saying, and how it all applies to us today. Now, Lord, I I do ask that right now you would help us to truly listen, to truly listen to your word. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? And let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you're teaching us through the book of James here, for all that you have taught us these past four months through the book of James, the letter that he wrote to Christians back in the first century. Help us to receive these words from James now, not simply as the words of a man, but as what they really are, the word of God. And finally, we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us on the inside with the word of your grace that comes to us through your son, Jesus Christ, that we hear about and celebrate every time we gather like this. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Again in verse 13, is anyone cheerful? Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Verse 19, is anyone among you wandering from the truth? Four situations that James leaves us with to consider this morning before we we take those and we'll take them all at once to get a a sort of big picture of what God is teaching us. And then we'll go back and take them one at a time to see what else he wants to teach us. Before we do that, let me tell you a story to help us get the main point. Now, 11 years ago, this is August 30th, 2005. So almost to the day, 11 years ago, I was at an event for the Youth Life Foundation of Richmond. It was here in Richmond at the Virginia Historical Society. And we had gathered some business leaders together to tell them what was going on through the ministry and to, to really ask for their support. And, and so toward the end of the event, this young lady named Heather Brown came up to, 
to ask everybody to, you know, to consider how God might be leading them to become involved and to, and to follow that course, whatever he was leading them to do. And, and so I thought about it and prayed, and I thought, you know, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to personally encourage the founder. <laughs> so I went, up, I went up afterward, and I just told her, man, Heather, I think you did a great job today. I think it went really well. So proud of you. I love you, and I think, think God's going to continue to do great things through this ministry. And all my future wife heard was, I love you. Yeah, yeah. So, sometimes, here's, and there's more to the story. And I'll let Heather tell it to you sometime because she tells it much better than I do. I don't want to mess it up. But, but my point this morning is to say this. Sometimes you say a lot, but you say one thing in the midst of all of that that stands out so much that it's nearly impossible to hear anything else that you said. You know what I mean? My concern this morning is that that will actually happen to us as we're reading the book of James. What he says here in verse 15 about the prayer of faith offered by the elders that nearly or or that does in fact guarantee a particular result. I mean, that, that is so interesting. That stands out so much. That potentially invites so much curiosity theological, emotional, we try to square that with our own experience as individuals or collectively, that if we're not careful, we won't hear anything else. So really quickly, I want to begin by helping us make sure we don't miss God's main point in order to pay attention to that other important point. So let me, let me just sweep through it very quickly and go with me. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, everybody, pray. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will actually do something. It will save the one who is sick. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and everyone pray for one another. Elijah, verse 17, prayed fervently and it did something. It actually stopped the rain. Now, he didn't make that up. If you read Deuteronomy eleven 17, you'll notice that God actually promised that if Israel went astray, that's what would happen. And Elijah prayed according to that word from God, and God held true to his word. But he prayed fervently, and something happened. And in verse 18, it says, then he prayed again, and something else happened. The rain returned. And what's made explicit all the way up through verse 18 is, is implicit in verses 19 and 20. Do you think that some Christian could actually succeed in his or her efforts to bring another Christian back from wandering from the truth without praying for that wandering soul? No, of course not. That person was praying as they sought to bring back another wandering believer. Ladies and gentlemen, verse 13, back up in there, it says, if anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. What we cannot miss this morning as we talk about other things is this. God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray. And He wants us to know that our prayers actually change things. Because he hears them and responds to them. I'll say that again. God wants us to pray. He wants us to increasingly become people who 
pray, particular, in particular when things are not going well, who come before him in prayer to express our need for him. And when things are going well, he wants us to come before him again in praise to express our gratitude to him. And we cannot miss that this morning as we talk about other things. God wants us to pray and he wants us to understand that our prayers change things because he hears and responds to those prayers. And having seen that, let's go back now. And let's take these situations one at a time to see what else God wants to teach us. Situation number one, is anyone among you suffering? Verse 13. Now pay close attention to these different words. Is anyone among you suffering? It matters not man or woman, adult or child, experienced believer, or you just became a Christian yesterday. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Look who should pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Did you catch that? Is anyone among you suffering? Let her, let him pray. That one who is suffering, let that person pray. And I mention that because I think we're so moved with compassion when one of us comes to the other and indicates that we are suffering, we're going through something difficult, we can't help but be moved by that. And the first thing that we do is we jump into let me pray for you mode. And I don't mean to suggest that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, there's everything right with it. We saw that back in verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. God wants us to pray for one another. But what I want to point out this morning is this. I think sometimes, and I know this in my own experience, I think sometimes we can immediately jump into praying for another person who is suffering without stopping long enough to check whether or not that person is praying himself or herself. And we miss an opportunity to steer that fellow believer in the direction of maturity and Christian growth. For, per, perhaps, I mean, and I've had this experience, maybe someone comes to you and you quickly, as you listen to them, you get an indication that this person is suffering, perhaps greatly. But as you listen, you detect that, that really all this person is doing is complaining about what it is that's causing them to suffer. And there's an opportunity for coming alongside that person and guiding toward Christian maturity and saying, let's go back and remember Philippians 2 and verse 14. Let's Let's ask God for the strength to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Perhaps as you're listening to this person, you, you get the sense that they're, they're not simply suffering, they're actually accusing God of malpractice, of being wicked or unjust toward them because they are suffering. And there's nothing about the particular cause of suffering that causes that in the person's life. Two people, it often happens, will be going through precisely the same ordeal. But they respond in very different ways. One goes through that terrible suffering and sounds like Job early in the book and confesses God's goodness and asks him for the strength to endure. And another sees only reason and ground to accuse God of being evil and unjust toward them. Something in the heart creates that difference. But as you listen, you perhaps detect this person, or maybe this is you, this, there's, there's not only a complaining but an accusing God of wrongdoing because you are suffering or because someone else is suffering. And that's an opportunity, again, to steer each other in the direction of Christian growth. Or perhaps you've detected this. One among us is suffering, and that person 
has called and talked to everyone but God about this issue. The Bible says, is anyone suffering? Let him or her what? Pray. God invites us to talk to him at those moments and not just everybody else. And again, we have to pause long enough when, when someone comes to us to ask the question, have you, have you personally gone, gone to God with this need? I can, I can pray with you, but have you personally gone to God with this need? If this is a new believer, you might find somebody who says, you know, I'm not sure how to pray. Well, what a great opportunity that is again to come alongside and to help walk that person in the direction of Christian maturity. You might, you might just take them back to the beginning of the book of James in chapter one. You might, you might combine something from Romans chapter eight with it and just tell them, look, I, I have that same issue even as an experienced Christian. I don't always know what to pray for as I ought, but the Bible tells us that the spirit helps us in that moment of weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but he intercedes for us. He helps us sometimes with groans that are too deep for words. And then you can say at other times, he helps us by inspiring this record of words we have in the scriptures. And you can take these words when you fail to come up with your own and you can pray them right back to God and know that he will hear them and will respond. And you might just, you might just model that for them and you say, dear God, please help me. Help me to count it all joy when I meet trials of various kinds. Help me to remember that these trials only serve to test my faith and that the testing of my faith produces steadfastness. And then let me be patient, Lord. Help steadfastness to have its full effect in my life so that I would be complete, lacking in nothing. And help me to trust you, God, over when you speak in Romans 8 and you say that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Help me to trust that that includes even this trial that I'm facing and enduring right now. I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And you model prayer for that new believer. And then you say, now you pray. Now you pray. And you, you say, here, go to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And you watch them pray after having seen you model it. And they begin to pray about how this trial and how this suffering leads them to perseverance and to character and to hope that does not disappoint them because God has poured out his love into their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And they begin to sense that love tangibly at that moment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And for those of us who detect that perhaps we're not the ones suffering at this moment, but someone else has come to us and is Let's make sure that they themselves are praying as well, and let's help to steer them in that direction. Situation number two, is anyone among you cheerful? Now, I love this because do you realize you don't all have to be sad at the same time? You realize it's okay to be cheerful as a Christian. You do get that. You understand that. It says it right here. Is anyone cheerful? It expects, the Bible expects, as it speaks to us, that in the same breath that we ask, is anyone suffering? We ask, is anyone cheerful? Because those are both to be anticipated and expected experiences within the body of Christ. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. And notice again, is anyone cheerful? This is not just for people who quote unquote uh, connect more with God through music than through reading the Bible. This is not just for those who have beautiful voices. It's for people like me too. You know, if you've been here, there's a reason why you've never seen me up here singing. Right? I don't think Shelby would let me. I don't know. 
They, my, my, old, my old soccer coach used to joke with me. He'd say, Ray, you're going to go places. You, you've, got a, you've got a face made for radio and a voice fit for print. It took me a while to realize that was not a compliment. And, but but it's, it's true. My voice is, is not the best. You know, we, we all have different gifts. But this is for me as well. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Let her sing. Let him sing praise. Right? And so you... You, you watch this, and I'll, I, I will, I'll spare you a demo of this one because of what I just said, right? <laughs> Lest, if you, if you weren't in the suffering category at first, you certainly will be after you hear me sing and butcher one of your favorite songs, but, but this is something we have to understand. You get the point. God wants us to come before him with cheerful singing when we are cheerful. It is good to be cheerful, and it's even better to come before God with singing when you are. I love how Isaac Watts put it in an old song that Christians still sing today. Come, let us join our cheerful songs with angels round the throne. Ten thousand thousand are their tongues, and yet all their joys are one. Worthy the Lamb that died, they cry, to be exalted thus. Worthy the Lamb, our lips reply, for He was slain for us. And as you reflect on that truth in the gospel, you cannot help but have your heart stoked to cheer and to express the same to God. Situation number three, is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you sick? Now this one was the most difficult one for me to read and to process. If, if verse 15 had simply said, and the prayer of faith may save the one who is sick, and the Lord may raise him up, I would have slept a lot better last night. This would have been a lot easier to understand over the past 20 years of trying to understand it. But I, I freely confess to you this morning, even after intense study this past week, even after reading and studying this many times over the past 20 years, I still have questions about what it means and how exactly it applies to us and our experiences today. The words aren't hard to understand, but it is, it's hard for me to square this with our individual or collective experience in prayer especially as we're praying for people who seem to have terminal illnesses. This is a very difficult one for me. And so I looked at it and, and I thought maybe this morning, one of the most helpful things I can do for us is to help us understand, first of all, what this does not mean. Let's look at a little bit of what this does not mean. I'll just mention a couple of things. Let's go back to verse, verse 14 and 15. And then verse 16, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James mentions a very close connection here to potentially unforgiven sins and the sickness that, that we are talking about. But we know for sure that this passage is not saying that unforgiven sin is always the cause of the sickness we are either experiencing ourselves or witnessing in another. And we can know that as we turn to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now do that and turn over to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And what you'll see there is a situation where Jesus' disciples actually believe that false notion, that, that certain sicknesses when we encounter them must be the result of some sin committed by that person or someone very close to them. And so as they passed by, Jesus saw a man who was born blind and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, no, it was not that this man or his parents sinned, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. It's not always the case that the sickness we're seeing is due to some personal sin in this person's life. And there's something else that we know is not the case. This, this passage does not teach the idea that if we simply have enough faith, if we simply conjure up what we believe is sufficient faith, that we can somehow guarantee physical healing in every case. That if we just gather around us the right people, that we can guarantee this result. And we know that. We know that from places like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul is talking there, and he says, look, three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away this thing from me that he calls a messenger of Satan, a thorn in his flesh, some physical malady, and the response he gets from the Lord is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in this weakness. And Paul learned there that he was going to continue to carry that physical malady, but that the Lord was protecting him spiritually from something even worse, from conceit because of the revelations he was getting. And so it's not true that we would always guarantee physical healing. Consider also what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23. He looks at Timothy, Timothy and he says, don't just drink water, but start drinking a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Timothy had some sort of chronic uh, gastric stomach problem and Paul said, you know, you, you should actually drink something that's going to help you with that. Now, why wouldn't Paul just look at him? If we could just conjure up faith and get the right people in the room and guarantee a result, why wouldn't Paul just say, Timothy, go, go, make sure you just go get the elders. Go get all the elders, have them pray the prayer of faith, and that'll clear it up right away. Paul, Paul obviously did not think that this was some formula for a guaranteed result in every case. And so we can know that this is not teaching us that every single time we pray with a certain kind of faith, and every, we work ourselves up to this thing that we can guarantee a result, and that somehow, if we have simply prayed in that way that we think is sufficient, that either something is wrong with our faith if we don't get the result we seek, or something's wrong with God or the people that we, we gathered around us. That's not the case, and God wants to protect us from that error. So now I need to tell you what this does mean. What does this mean? Or at least I need to tell you something about that. Let me mention a couple of things with that as well this morning, and then we'll, we'll move forward. But I, I think at the very least, maybe the most helpful thing I can tell you is that if you find yourself in this situation, in this church, if you find yourself uh, in, in, in sickness to the point where you actually, you, you can't even move, you have to have people come to you, that you have to summon the elders of the church to pray over you, we're, we're, we'll come. I mean, let us know that that's your situation. Let us know. We won't always know automatically, but someone come to us and let us know that somebody is in that situation. Or if you're able to call, call us and let us know. We will come. I don't say that all nine of us will rush your room. You probably wouldn't want that anyway. But at at some representation of the eldership and the, the plurality of the elders will be there to pray with you and to ask God to heal you. And the second thing I would say that's probably helpful is that this, this probably is showing us that we're never on the right, or, or I should say we're never on the wrong side of the Christian faith if we, at the same time that we pray and ask God for healing, if we avail ourselves of modern medicine. It's very important to say because a lot of times I find this mistake amongst Christians. We think that somehow we are cheapening or discounting or weakening our expression of faith 
if we also at the same time seek help from healthcare professionals and from medicine. But, but if, if you recall in the first century, oil was not just something slick. Or oil at times was thought to have medicinal purposes. In Luke chapter 10, I believe verse 34, you'll actually see this in the story of the Good Samaritan where the the Good Samaritan is said to bound up the wounds of the one who was injured, and then he poured on oil and wine. So oil and wine, oil was one of those things seen to have some sort of medicinal purpose. And it could very well be, not sure, but it could be that James is telling us here, it's no problem looking at it or into or taking medicine as you pray. And in fact, if you want to convince yourself of that further, Read 2 Kings on your own time. Read 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. And there you'll see a story of Hezekiah being diagnosed with a terminal illness. And Isaiah the prophet delivers this bad news to him. And then he leaves. And Hezekiah begins to pray as Isaiah is on his way out. And God stops Isaiah and says, Isaiah, I want you to turn back around and tell Hezekiah that I've heard his prayer and he's not going to die. I'm going to heal him. So God promises to miraculously heal Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20. And then he allows us to see the means by which he's going to heal him. And Isaiah gets back in and he says, I want you to take a cake of figs. Again, modern medicine at the time. Take a cake of figs, lay it on the boil that he may recover. God often miraculously heals people through the wisdom that he has given to modern healthcare workers, and through modern medicine. We do not need to see those two things at odds. They often go together, all right? So those are some of the most important things I think I could tell us about what this means. I have a ton of questions beyond that, and I'm sure you two, you have those as well, but let's, let's move to the last situation here. Number four, is anyone among you wandering from the truth? For time's sake, we can't go into all the details about what it looks like for us to wander from the truth, but I'm sure you have a good idea. What I want to say as we, as we get ready to close is this. This is exactly how Jesus found every single one of us. Whether we're in here this morning and we've never brought our lives, we've never brought our sins to the cross to receive forgiveness, or whether we're in here this morning and we have come to the cross to receive forgiveness through the work of Christ, but now we find ourselves wandering from the truth in some thought, in some belief, or perhaps how it usually works, it issues forward in, in, in a wandering from the cross and moral living as well. If we find ourselves in either one of those positions, this is how Jesus found us, wandering from the truth, wandering from God himself, wandering from the relationship that we were created to enjoy. And Jesus came and he says, Isaiah at least says this, as all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Jesus came. And he says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, speaking of himself, I have come to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. And he came as that good shepherd for us, his lost sheep. And he knew that rescuing us from the danger we had put ourselves in was going to cost his life. And so in John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. On the cross, that's what he did. Jesus willingly paid the penalty 
for all the sins that you and I have committed in our wandering and even for the very iniquity that led to that wandering in the first place. Isaiah goes on in verse 6 of chapter 53 to say, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, his son Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And that's why whether we've yet to bring our sins and our lives to the cross for forgiveness, or whether we find ourselves having done so in the past, wandering from the truth in some way, we hear the Lord speaking to us even through songs with the help that we need. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. And should we find ourselves wandering today, having received his grace, the song goes on. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lord, as we prepare as believers to take communion now, help us to remember that this precious blood we just mentioned is represented by the cup. That the bread, the broken pieces of bread represent the broken body from which that blood came. And that now we can, as wandering rebels as we have been, we can now as formerly wandering rebels come to you as forgiven and welcome children of God. And so if you're serving communion, you can go and you can get those elements now and take your stations. And as you reflect upon the truth that we have heard, whether you need to come to the cross for the first time in your life to receive forgiveness and eternal life from the Son of God, Jesus Christ, or whether having done that, you find yourself drifting in either belief or lifestyle, wandering from the truth, Jesus, our good shepherd, is here to help us and to rescue us this morning. As the believing church, those who have believed in Christ, come when you're ready to receive these reminders of his grace toward us through the cross. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.